Today's reading is from the book of Genesis, chapter 30, page 2-9. That's Genesis, chapter 30, page 2-9 in the Church Bibles. And we're reading from verse 25 to verse 43. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages, and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you, and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in the charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock, that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So feebler would be Laban's, and the stronger, Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. It's good to be together this morning. It's good to remember, and it's good to have fellowship to be to be together as a church this morning. Now we're in our Sunday morning teaching series on the life of Jacob, aren't we? We've been here for a few weeks, and it's going to lead us right up to Christmas. And if you were about last week, you'll remember that that pit stop in the life of Jacob we honed in on and looked at his wife Rachel. 
And you remember, as we were looking at the life of Rachel, we could see this lady longing for a family that she had always dreamed of. We could see she was captivated, fixated even with this dream of what she wanted her life to look like. You remember that? We looked at it last week. And what we saw in Rachel's story was that she was spinning out of control. You you could see she had these, these, these natural good desires and longings, but life was just really hard because she wasn't getting what she wanted. She was in a tough spot. Her plans weren't working out. Life wasn't panning out in the way she hoped it would. And you remember, as we looked at Rachel, we could see her getting jealous. We could see her blocking out the input from people around her. We could see her acting in a way that was hurtful to people around her. She took matters into her own hands. So we could see she wanted her life to be a particular way, and it wasn't panning out. Her plans weren't coming to fruition. And you remember, we said, well, okay then, how does she respond? How should she respond when life doesn't work out? But you might have been sitting there throughout all of that and thought to yourself, well, if I'm honest, James, I can empathize where she is, and I can see that kind of a pain. But if I look at my life, it's actually panned out okay. And I can see where Rachel is. I want buckets of empathy and compassion for where she is. But if I'm honest, as I was learning that, as I was was engaging with that text, as we moved through that, my life is actually okay. When I look across my life, James, actually, financially, I'm doing okay. My job provides enough for me. I'm well provided for. I've even squirreled away something for retirement. Uh, Actually, life's all right. And work. Well, I have the odd day where I feel horribly overwhelmed. My colleagues are giving me a hard time. My boss needs to be a little bit clearer. But generally speaking, I am blessed to have a job. I am blessed to have all of this. Actually, life seems to be okay. And in the household, yeah, my marriage is okay. We're on the same page. My, my kids, they drive me up the wall sometimes. They don't listen enough. But really, they're good characters. They're growing up within the fold of God's community. James, if I look at my life, I'm actually doing okay. Yes, I'm not in the place I thought I was going to be. But my, have, my plans have panned out. I am in a place of abundance. I'm, I'm in a place where I feel like I've been blessed. Things are actually okay when I look at the grand scheme of my life. Maybe you looked at Rachel's life and thought, yeah, yeah, I can understand her pain, but where I am, things are actually okay. Now, what we're going to find is Jacob. Jacob, things seem to start going well for him. For the first time, his plans start to pan out. His life begins to go the way he hopes it will. And Jacob increases in abundance. He increases greatly, it says. Things seem to be going his way. But I want to ask the question then, okay, what does he do when his plans go his way? When he's blessed, when he has those material needs just where he wants them, when life seems to go the way he hopes it will, when his plans pan out, when opportunities come his way, when the Lord shows up, when it just seems to be good, how does Jacob respond when things go well? And I want to ask ourselves the question, well, how do we respond then when we find ourselves in that stage of life, when things seem to be going okay and we're well provided for? 
So we've got our Bibles open at Genesis 30. And what we've seen so far in the life of Jacob is that it's been nothing but conflict along the road. I mean, he was born into conflict with his brother, tough dynamics between his mum and dad. They weren't communicating properly. And then he meets this girl called Rachel. And he falls head over heels in love. He is absolutely smitten with this girl. And so he goes to the father-in-law. Hey, father-in-law. Well, not father-in-law yet, but he says to Laban, hey, Laban, I want to marry your daughter, Rachel. I'm crazy about her, Laban. Can I have her, please? And so Laban says, all right, you can work seven years for her. Now, now Jacob is so, so in love with this gal that, that that seven years seems like a matter of days to him. Now, we don't know exactly what happens on the wedding night, but Jacob wakes up with a woman next to him who isn't Rachel. It's Rachel's sister, Leah. Hey, Laban, I wanted Rachel, and now I've got Leah. What do I do now? Well, 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 Jacob, says Laban, you're going to have to work another seven years. So I'll give you Rachel, but you'll have to work for me for seven years. So that's 14 years in total. So Jacob is locked into this contract of working for his father-in-law, Jacob, for 14 years. Jacob honors this contract. But we know something about Laban. We know he's manipulative. We know he's out for what he can get. We know he looks after number one. And we know he's going to manipulate the people around him so that he can get everything he wants. That's true for Jacob. He's going to manipulate Jacob yet again. He's got 14 years out of Jacob. Now, kudos to Jacob. He honors the 14-year contract. He works out the 14 years and then says to Laban, Laban, uh, it's time for me to go. You know, I don't come from around here. I've got a land that God promised to my fathers, my forefathers. That land, I want to go back. I want to take my wives, my kids, so that's your daughters, your grandkids, and I want to go to the place that God promised my forefathers. I'm resigning. It's time for me to go. And what he seems to say to Laban is, um, can I have some kind of a bonus? I've worked 14 years. You've done really well because I'm around. So can I have some kind of a bonus? Now, why would Jacob want some kind of a bonus? Well, simply, Jacob knows it's unwise for him to make that long journey with his big family and try to set up shop once he gets on the other side without any livestock, without any resources. I mean, it's just wise. It kind of makes sense. So he's thinking, right, if I can just have some kind of some kind of section of the flocks. If I can just have something from you, Laban, to go home with, I'm going to be able to set everything up okay. So he asks for some kind of a bonus. We know what Laban's like. Let's read, reread, verse 25 and verse 26 here. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, here we go, here's the request, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you. I.e., I've worked out the 14 years. Come on, Laban. That I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. Now, step back right there. So Laban come, uh, Jacob comes in with his request to Laban. Laban, can I just have something small to go home with? 
really interesting in these words, that's Exodus kind of language being used. When, when Jacob says, send me away, that's the same kind of phraseology that Moses and Aaron used before Pharaoh when they say, let my people go. And really interesting, Jacob is saying, I've served you. Very similar word to the word slaved. So it's as almost as though the Exodus story borrows this language from Jacob's experience. Jacob is saying, let me go. I've, I've been enslaved in this contract for 14 years. Can I move on, please? Can I have the inheritance that is owed to your daughters and grandchildren? Can I have that, please? So we can set up when I get home. But we know what Laban's like, don't we? Laban isn't going to let Jacob go without a fight. Jacob, Laban knows that Jacob has increased him. Laban knows that the Lord has blessed him and increased him because of Jacob's presence. So think about it. If you're in Laban's shoes and you're out for yourself, what are you going to do with Jacob? You're going to try and pin him down for a little bit longer. 14 years isn't enough. Let's get this guy, let's keep him around just a little bit longer. So that seems to be what Laban does. Look at verse 27 and 28. But Laban says to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. So Laban says to Jacob's resignation plea, and this plea for this little bonus, he says, Look, I've gone to see fortune tellers. And what I got told was that you are the one who is the cause for my blessing. I am as rich as I am. I'm sitting pretty financially, Jacob, because you're here and you're working for me. You're the reason I'm as rich as I am. So Laban knows that. He's been told that. And then he says to Jacob, name your wages. Effectively, I think what he is saying is, I, name your wages. I don't think there is any. I remember what we said, and what we said was just two wives, 14 years of work. Did we say anything about money? Now think about this. Laban wants Jacob to stay. So isn't he going to play that card? He knows Jacob can't go anywhere until he has some livestock. Jacob is locked in unless he has something. So uh, Jacob, name your wages, i.e., I don't think there are any. You know the story of Jack and the Beanstalk? I was reading it to my kids just recently. I found it in a bookshelf. I didn't know we even had it. So I sat down and read Jack and the Beanstalk. And you know how the story goes. Jack goes into town with a cow, and then he ends up swapping the cow for some beans. And then his mother's so enraged about this trade-off that, that she throws the beans out of the window and sends Jack to bed. And then in the morning, Jack wakes up, and there's this giant beanstalk that's grown, and it goes through the cloud. And so Jack, being the adventurer that he is, climbs up this beanstalk through the clouds, only to find some kind of a castle or a palace where a giant lives. You know, he creeps into this kind of castle, and he finds the giant asleep and sees a hen that lays golden eggs. And so Jack thinks, I'm going to take this hen that lays golden eggs, and I'm going to run away with it. And he's running away... Really un unkid friendly poem that the giant screams out. What does he say? Fee fi fo fum. Uh, say what? I smell the blood of an Englishman. Be he alive or be he dead. What about for a last line? I grind his bones to make my bread. <laughs> Rosie was absolutely horrified at that. I didn't know what to do. But but you know you know how Jack is fleeing the giant. What does the giant want? He wants the chicken that can lay the golden eggs. He doesn't want to let him go. 
Really, that's what Jacob is to Laban. He doesn't want this prosperous guy leaving him. He doesn't want the golden hen to go away. Because if he loses the golden hen, he won't have that prosperity. So for Laban, Jacob is the hen that lays the golden eggs. He doesn't want to see him go. So Laban's going to do whatever he can to keep Jacob around. Look at verse 29 and 30. And Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you, and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? Can you feel the frustration in Jacob's voice? He seems to be saying, Laban, can you see you're in this financial position because of what I've done? Surely, out of some kind of kindness, you might have in your cold little heart, just give me something, Laban. Can't you see this prosperity as me? Just, just take a little cut of it and give it to me so that I can go home and provide for my own family. But there's a stalemate here. And we feel the tension rise in this story. We've got Jacob on one side, frustrated, I'm sure, a little bit disillusioned, feeling incredibly stuck. How am I supposed to get out of this? I want to go back to the land that God promised my forefathers, but I can't go and kill this little tight-fisted cheapskate Laban gives me something, but but he won't. So Jacob's locked in. And then on the other side, imagine Laban. Laban's thinking, right, as long as I have him in the palm of my hand, I'm going to get richer and richer and richer. I'm going to keep this hen that lays the golden eggs right here. He's not going anywhere. But perhaps, perhaps Jacob paced up and down his living room or up and down the hallways of his house. What on earth am I going to do? How am I going to get out of this? Where am I going to find the startup capital to get out of here? What, what am I going to do? And, and maybe Laban's on the other side. Maybe he's sitting in the living room with his feet up, thinking to himself, I've got this guy in the palm of my hand. He is wrapped around my little finger. He's stuck. Now, this tension seems to rise and rise and rise until a new contract is formed. So the 14-year contract is done. There is now a new contract. But it's a different kind of contract. It's not a contract that's based on wages. It's a contract that's based on profit sharing, and it's to do with the flocks. Because Jacob has been looking after Laban's flocks for 14 years, the contract is about this. So imagine if if you started working for a company, and the company said to you, right, we're not going to pay you an hourly rate or a yearly salary. What we're going to do is we're going to give you a chunk of the profits that you help produce for us. So it's a profit-sharing contract. That's what seems to be forged here. Now, I've got to try and explain this. This is quite complicated right here. And I don't know much about livestock, but I'm going to give it a go. At this point in history, Jacob and Laban both know that the flock is going to be made up predominantly of sheep and goats. 98% of the sheep are going to be born a solid white color. Every now and again, so around about 2% of the time, there's going to be a recessive gene that shows up which means the sheep aren't born solid white. They're either going to be born black or they're going to be born spotted or speckled. Okay, And then you've got goats. Goats, 98% of the time, are going to be born dark, so either black or brown. 
And every now and again, a recessive gene shows up and makes the goats either spotted, speckled, or striped. So the majority of any flock that has sheep and goats, and about 98%, is going to have solid-colored white sheep, solid-colored dark goats. Every now and again, this recessive gene shows up. So the contract is formed surrounding this very small percentage of animals that show the recessive gene. It seems like a really strange contract, but I'm going to try and explain this. But let's read just a little bit further in here. Look at verse 31 to 33. And he said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pass your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later. When you come to look into my wages with you, every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted as stolen. Okay, so let's try and understand everything Jacob has just said. So he said, right, Laban, let's look at this giant flock I've grown for you after the last 14 years. Take the 2% of the recessive gene, so it's a very, very small amount of sheep and goats. Jacob is saying, let me take those, and these ones are going to be my flock. Laban you get the 98%. So if you're in Laban's shoes, you're thinking to yourself, hang on a second, Jacob, do you know what you're doing? It will take you years to build a flock that's big enough to take you back to your homeland and support all of of your family and the people around your family and the other livestock. It's going to take you forever to get this kind of flock. But Jacob is proposing a new contract. Laban, let's go through the broad flock. I'll take this small amount of sheep and goats, they're going to be mine, and the rest will be yours. This is a win-win for Laban, because he knows that it is going to take Jacob an absolute age to grow a flock from this 2% that's going to be big enough to support him on his road home, and then to set up when they get home. So look at this, Laban jumps at the deal immediately. Laban said, look at that, he doesn't mess around, good! Let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats, more deception from Laban, and was, that was striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, and every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and he put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and pastured the rest of Laban's flock. So let's try and understand what's just happened there. They've agreed this contract where Jacob can get that very small percentage that the recessive gene shows up in. But what Laban does is he jumps the gun and he says to his sons, well, let's keep Jacob here even longer. By taking those that show the recessive gene, removing them from the flock and sending them three days away. So what has Laban done? He's kept Jacob around for even longer. If it wasn't enough for Jacob to work with this small flock, he's now sent them ahead and said, right, you're going to have to work with the solid-colored sheep and the solid-colored goats, and all of the ones that show the recessive gene are going to be yours. Jacob is going to be locked in here for a long time. But Jacob has a plan, and it's a really bizarre, strange livestock breeding program. So let's read through this together. Verse 37 to 42. Then Jacob took 
fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that had, he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks come to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. I have no idea how this seems to work. Verse 40, <laughs> Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks towards the stripe and all of the black in the flock of Laban. He put out his own droves apart from them, but did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. For if for the fee- but for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the fee- feebler of- would be Laban's and the stronger would be Jacob's. Whoa, what's Jacob doing? What Jacob seems to do right here is he takes these different types of tree branches. He peels a bit of bark off. Now these, this is going to be a, a type of tree that has white White, uh, it's a white wood underneath the bark. So we have both dark and white on it, lays it over the troughs. And his thinking is, if the animals look at these branches when they come to breed, then they're going to produce offspring with the recessive gene in them. Great. And then what he does is he turns some of the livestock to face the other livestock that have the desired coloring that he wants to see. And he says, right, when they look at those livestock as they're breeding, I will get the kind of animals that I want. Strangely enough, and I don't know how this plan seems to pan out in this moment, it works. Jacob's flock increases. He gets the animals with the recessive gene. He stays true to his contract. He hasn't wavered from the agreement. Laban's plans have been thwarted. Laban's sitting pretty with all of his finances, thinking to himself, yes, I've got this, this, this hen that lays the golden egg around for a little bit longer, only to find that Jacob's flock increases and Laban decreases. Now, here's the thing. Before Jacob has a moment to get his self-reliant swagger going on, saying, I know how to handle livestock. I've come up with a way of breeding animals, but nobody has ever seen it before. Before he has a chance to get that kind of self-reliant swagger going on, the Lord intervenes and says, Laban, uh, Jacob, there is something you need to know about this. You You see, deep within the middle of chapter 31, the Lord speaks to Jacob in a dream and shows him something about this entire livestock breeding program. As strange as it is, the Lord shows him something. Look at verse 9. Jacob's talking to Leah and Rachel. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted my eyes. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, he said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are spotted, are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now we'll rise, go out of this land, and return to the land of your kindred. Hang on a second. Not too far in the future, Jacob gets given 
insight into what was going on in his rather bizarre livestock breeding program. And what the Lord says to Jacob in a dream is, hang on, Jacob, before you start to think that it's your strange but really well-worked-out idea, it was actually me who was affecting the genetics of the sheep and the goats. It was actually me who was providing a way for you to get free. Jacob, do you remember the vow that we made? Lift up your eyes and see, Jacob. Can you see that it was me blessing you and creating a path for you? Jacob, can you see? Verse 43, we read, Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. Jacob now has enough to go home. Jacob now has enough of a flock to support his family. He now has enough capital to go home and start up a new life. But what does the Lord say to him? Jacob, when your plans worked out the way you hoped they would, when life went the way you desired it to go, when you increased in your finances, when you saw my provision at every single turn, Jacob, you need to know, says the Lord, you need to lift up, eyes, lift up your eyes and see. I made a way. I'd forged a path. I did it. You see, Jacob's lesson here is that the Lord works in and through his bad livestock science. The, the Lord works with Jacob's, uh, the Lord thwarts Laban's wicked plans. Now, Jacob's not passive. Yes, he's creative and he's resourceful. But the main point here is to see, look what the Lord does in forging a way out for Jacob. When things went well for Jacob, when he was comfortable, when he was provided for, when things just seem to go his way at every turn for the first time in his life, God says to him, Jacob, I'm making a way. I'm doing it. I'm forging a path. That's a lesson for us today too. And we might think, look, we're a million miles removed from raising livestock. And never on earth would we think about doing that with sheep and goats. How on earth can this say anything to us in this context today? How can that story be in any way related to where we are? Well, let me tell you. Jacob gets given the grace to look back. And as he does, he sees the Lord's hand at every single turn. And he learns along this rather difficult and then in increasing greatly kind of road that the Lord did it. What happens when we look back? What happens when we have a moment to look across our lives to look across some of the plans we've made, some of the hopes we had for how our life was going to turn out. Now we might say, yeah, it's a little bit different to how I thought it was going to be. I'd have never thought I would be here 10 years ago. And yeah, there's a few things in my life I wish I could change. There were a few things I wish I could go back and unsay or say. There were, there were a few things I wish I could, I, I could change. But for the most part, I am well provided for. I have an abundance of material wealth. I have opportunities. I have comfort on all sides. I live in a land where there is peace. Things are going all right for me. I'll change a few things, but really, in the grand scale of the global population, I'm actually doing okay. What does Jacob learn? God forged a path. God made a way. God did it. He has given a sensitivity and an awareness to God's grace in his life. 
But we're in a more fortunate position to Jacob, aren't we? Because he hoped for a saviour. He hoped for the rescuer, the one who would crush the evil one. We get to look back and we get to see that his name is Jesus Christ. We get to look back and what we get to see is God's grace lavished upon our lives in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We get to read in our Bibles about how Jesus took our sin to himself and he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. On the cross, he took our punishment that we deserved. But you know, after he died upon the cross, he raised again from the dead so that we could have new life. Here's the thing, when we look back, when we look across the scope of our lives, we, like Jacob, can see God's goodness at every single turn. How does Jacob respond when things go his way? Well, he recognizes God made a path, God forged a way, God did it. When we look across our lives and we see abundance, When we look across our lives, we see safety. We see security. We see opportunity in our generation like no generation has ever had before. How do we respond? God did it. God forged a way. God made a way. Now, I think this has has a special level of pointedness to where we are. I don't know about you. When things go wrong in my life... I'm very quick to point the finger at external factors. So when something goes wrong, I usually say something like, well, they should have done that, and he should have done that, and she shouldn't have said that, and oh, I didn't think that was going to happen. I didn't expect that to happen. Oh, yeah, oh, oh, rubbish, yeah. The reason things went wrong was because they didn't do that, he didn't do that, she should have done that, or whatever. But when things go well, when things seem to pan out comfortably for me, What do I start to do? Well, the finger goes the other way. Do you see what I did? Did you see how hard I worked? Did you see the thought that went into that? Did you see the plans we made together and how we built that? Did you see that? Did you see the friends there, the contacts, the achievements, the increase, the material provision? Do you see? What Jacob learns is to not turn the finger in on himself and say, do you see what I did? Because God says to him, Jacob, you know that bizarre livestock breeding program? That was me all along. But I think this has an extra level of poignancy for us. Why? Why does it have that extra level where it just hits home a little bit more? Well, look at, look at our small corner of the world that we live in. We are. We're in more comfort. We're in more financial stability. More safety. More opportunities than the vast majority of the world that we live in. That's a real blessing. We have got so much to be thankful for, but the danger is for me and you, in the context that we live in, in in mid to west Suffolk, in the context we're living in and the provision we have in our lives, we are in danger of growing numb to the very lesson that Jacob learns. We're in danger of being desensitized to the need we had of God all along. When things go well, we're very quick to say, did you see what I did? When things go well for Jacob, he's taught to say, do you see what God's done? Do you see what God's done? During World War II, it's well documented that the churches across our country, our country was at, the churches were just filled on a Sunday morning. Standing room only, filled to the rafters. And people would flock into the churches on a Sunday morning during the toughest weeks of World War II and the toughest months. People were were crying out to God. 
The churches had really never actually been that full before. And it was great. I love reading the history books to see how people were on their knees crying out to God for him to, 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 to change the situation, to bring peace, to find a way out. Great. Were the churches that full before the war? No. Were churches that full after World War II? No. Were people still in need and well provided for by the Lord? Was he active in their lives through his common grace? Yeah. So what happened? Why were the churches full during the hard times? Well, people saw their need of him. They saw that they were in need of him to sustain them and to save them and to make a way. Now, you know, in our lives, when things don't work out the way we want them to, sometimes it can be easier to go to God, can't it? When things are difficult, it it can be more easy to cry out, Lord, I need you. I need your help. I need you to forge a way. I don't know what to do. Make a way out of this slavery so that I can go back to a place of peace and stability. But when things are good, when we're well provided for, when we're comfortable, that's where we need to learn a new lesson. So you're like, okay, James, what now? What do I do? I see Jacob's lesson. He has prosperity. He's in comfort, financial stability. What do I do? do are you saying I run into hardship? Are you saying I, I, I get out of this comfortable environment and I, and I run into places where I can find suffering? No, I don't think that's the right question to ask. I think the right question to ask is this. What does a life that learns Jacob's lesson here look like? That's a better question. What does a life that learns God did it God made a way. God forged a path. What, what is that kind of a life? That in the middle of that material prosperity, what does that kind of life look like when it understands that God brought that about? Well, I think there's a few, few key areas. I just want to run through these. Number one, that kind of a life that learns Jacob's lesson will recognize and be aware of God's goodness at every turn. That will be a kind of life that says, wow, God has been so good to me. He's provided for me financially. He's provided me with the church. He's provided me with peace. He's he's enabled me to make plans for my future. I see a stability. Wow, God has been so good. Secondly, a life that learns Jacob's lesson will be a life that is abundantly generous. Because Jacob learns, oh, this didn't come from me. This came from the Lord. Jacob learns, God gave this to me. And when Jacob learns that, his life is transformed. He has a confidence to move off towards his homeland. What happens to us when we realize that everything we have comes from the Lord? What happens to us when we realize that the breath in our lungs is only there because of his goodness? What happens when we realize that the days we have lived on this earth have all been because of his goodness and every step of the way he has sustained us because we're sitting here today. What happens when we begin to see that it all came from him? Well, we'll begin to be abundantly generous because we'll see it's not actually ours, not even our lives. We gave up our rights to him. It's his. And if it's his, then I need to use it for his kingdom and his glory all of my life. This life will be one that's willing to take risks. What does Jacob do? Jacob up sticks, he has the livestock he needs, and he gets on home. 
He takes an incredible risk, but only because he recognizes that God has made a way thus far. Lastly, a life that learns Jacob's lesson is a life that's full of joy. It's a life that says, I did not deserve this kind of goodness across my life. I didn't deserve this kind of stability. There are people in this world who are far more deserving than I am, and they're in a tough situation. They're in need. I have an abundance at every single turn. I have now the privilege and the joy to use what God has given me to be a blessing to the world around me. That's what Jacob does. And when we see that, there will be a life of an abundant joy welling up inside of us. God did it. God made a way. God forged a path. So so when Jacob increases greatly, his plans go his way. When his life seems to start turning out just the way he hopes it will, when he sees that material provision and increase, what does he need to remember? What do we need to remember? God forged a path. God made a way. God did it. Hey, let's pray, and then we get to sing our last song together. Lord, we are so grateful for your word. We thank you for the story of Jacob's life and how it reminds us that even in the good times, even in the prosperous times, we are still called to recognize that we need you, that you have provided for us, and you have a calling on our lives because of it. Help us to see that. We are grateful that you you have graced us You have given us provisions, and beyond that, you've given us your son so that we might be free. Give us a sensitivity to our need of you, even when times are good, even when our plans work out. And we're praying in Jesus' name. Amen.